This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. It's time for your viewing pleasure, the online show that will change how you think about online shows. Welcome to the Great I.O. Get-Together! On tonight's show, fun and excitement like you won't believe. The thrills, the chills. Now join me in welcoming your hosts and mine, Richard and Tara! Thank you so much, Pete. As always, welcome everyone to the great IO get-together number 10, Ask Us Anything Except About Bitcoin. My name is Richard. This is my co-host, Tara. What is going on, Tara? Not too much. I mean, I was studying about Bitcoin, so I'm a little disturbed that you told people not to ask us about Bitcoin, but oh. that's fine. I, I'm sure that knowledge will be useful for something else. You, you can share your Bitcoin expertise right now if you want. <laughs> okay, that was a lie. I don't know anything about Bitcoin. <laughs> It's 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 all about blockchain, just like our show. <laughs> so if you've never joined us before, this will not be about blockchain. We record these live uh, so we can take your questions live on the show. You get the most out of uh, these live shows by joining us in our Discord community, uh, where you can chat with your fellow IOs, students, academic practitioner during the show or uh, anytime you want. Discord, the uh, Discord community is available all the time. Uh, you can also find out more details about this whole thing we're doing at thegig.online. Uh, this show is going to be a little bit different than usual um, for our uh, first <coughs> double-digit show, this big number one zero. We're going to try a call-in format. Uh, so we'll probably be skipping the intermission, going maybe a little faster than usual. Uh, if you're joining us live, you can post any questions you have either in the YouTube live chat uh, or in the on-air channel in Discord. Uh, for right now, uh, I think we've already got callers on hold. So, uh, Tara, who who we got up uh, first? Yes, we do indeed have callers on hold. So our first call is from uh, Jillian Evie. Okay. All right. <laughs> A little suspicious. Hi, big fan of the show. Uh, my question is, what do you do when you lose interest in your research project because your advisor forced you to work on a terrible idea? Oh. Ooh, you must be one of Richard's students. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a really normal question, if, I, if you don't mind me taking this one, Richard. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's normal, I think, to have a little bit of ebb and flow and interest over time in a project. I mean, research takes years sometimes. And the thing that I do is build little milestones in so that I don't get too bored when nothing happens for nine months. So you celebrate small occasions like, hooray, I collected data collection. Um, but the second thing you can do is think about why you're losing interest. Is this the topic? Is it you? Is there some kind of mismatch here? And, and really thinking about what's going on there. Um, you know, the last thing I would say uh, is that, yes, you have some autonomy as a student to, to join projects that are interesting to you. But it's also important that you finish what you start. So my suggestion for you is to power through a little bit longer and, and see, and you know, maybe your motivation will change over time because all of our motivation is a little bit dynamic. Yeah, that's all great advice. 
All right, let's see what we have next on the call. We've got Overdressed in Overton. All right, let's see what we got to say here. Okay. My question is about proper business attire. I bought a bunch of fancy work outfits two years ago, and I never wore them since I've been living in yoga pants for two years. Huh. What do I do with them? Feel that. That's that seems a question obviously directed at me. Uh, so clearly, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is it is actually a funny question. I um uh always had a had trouble uh, with professional attire, so I actually joined one of those uh, services where they just send you things that they think will be professional for you. And I did that right before the pandemic started. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I had a whole host of things and nowhere to go with them. Uh, so I guess my suggestion would be start a YouTube show and wear some things to that. Okay, that's not very practical. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't promise that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to offer another suggestion, uh, there are lots of charities that will actually accept gently worn clothing um, to support mm. people who are going on job interviews who might not have a nice suit to wear. So I would suggest looking in your local area um, and and finding a good new home for those clothes because I'm fully team yoga pants forever, frankly, never going back. All right, next we have on the line, uh, Tony S. Danzadel. Okay. That's all right. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. I need some advice. I forgot one of my colleagues' names, but it's way too late to ask at this point. So my question mm. is, how can I avoid this person forever, both in my department and at PSYOP? Thanks. Okay. That's a big challenge. First of all, his name is Steven Rogelberg. Uh, <laughs> second, I'm sure Steven has also forgotten your name. So the, the suggestion mm. I have for you is to find a new stranger, a third party, and introduce them to each other and say, oh, hey, have you two met? And then go silent and hope they introduce themselves to each other and then you can quietly sneak away forever. Oh, that's that's solid advice, uh, especially sneaking away. Yeah, classic introvert dilemma here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we, uh, just as a brief reminder to everybody listening uh, at home, if you do have questions that you would like us to address right now, uh, feel free to drop them in the uh, live chat or in the uh, Discord, in the on-air channel. Um, but you know, for now, let's go, let's, let's charge ahead. What do we have next? Yeah, we've got Florida man waiting on the line here. Let's see what the question is. Go ahead, Florida man. Florida man. Who is your favorite researcher, specifically in the area of retirement or older workers? Oh, oh. Ruth Camper, for sure. Yeah, that's a very specific question, but yeah, of course. Yeah, no, she's amazing. Okay, yeah. that was easy. Uh, let's see. Next question. Moving on. Gosh, I hope they're all this easy. Let's see. Oh, we've got a different Florida man on the line next. Okay. Go ahead, different Florida man. Okay. But who is your favorite researcher in the area of uh, quantitative methodology, though? Oh, uh, I guess Jose Cortina. I mean, crowded field. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, was that a... Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Jose for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, let's see here. Uh, oh, interesting. We've got a call from ABD next. Mm. All right, ABD, mm -hmm. go ahead. Hey, I was just wondering why most of the papers we read for grad school are so boring. <laughs> that you know, that's that's a fair question. Uh, if if you don't mind me taking this, uh, uh, you know, there yep. are. 
there, there are there are a couple sides to why things are so boring. Um, one is that uh, you know papers can be boring just because you don't really understand them. You know, it reminds me of like uh, back in high school reading like Ulysses or something. Like it's a, it can be a slog when you're not you have to fight to understand what you're reading. Um, so that's that's one side of it. Uh, the the other side is that some papers, uh, even if you do know what you're doing, are just boring papers, uh, and that's that's okay. That just happens. Um, you know, there's some kind of, I guess I'd say there's some weird incentives uh, in the way that uh, academic publishing works on this sort of uh, quantity over quality kind of issue that sometimes we end up with a lot of papers that don't really say much or they say it in a really excessively complicated way, unnecessarily complicated. Um, and in in our quest to really fully understand a research literature, um, we do, we still have to look at those papers. So uh it's it's not that yeah some of them are boring uh, let me let me just go ahead and say that uh quite quite clearly but it's important that we have a full understanding and a full grasp over the full range of what we have available uh to read uh it's part of the sort of incremental process of building science right um i will also i will say though that the reason some things are boring not just because of the topic not just because it's hard but some people are just really just bad writers uh, it's not a it's not a skill that a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people that aren't in like the humanities get explicitly trained in. Um, you probably have never had a class in how to write a scientific paper. Uh, neither did the people writing your scientific papers that you're reading. So it's actually a big area that I think we need to work on. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good point because I was about to say that practice makes perfect, but practice in the absence of feedback about how you're doing doesn't really help. So if yeah. you're just continuously practicing writing a bad paper, then, you know, you're not going to get better. I totally agree with that. Hmm. We're all doomed, I guess. <laughs> well, on that happy note. All right. We've got <laughs> a call from uh, Fred Waldo Emerson coming up here. All right. Let's see if we can hear Fred. Go ahead, Fred. Uh, yes, I'm one of those professors at one of those so-called universities, and I'm wondering, should I quit this so-called job and become this data scientist type person that I keep hearing about? Thanks for any insights. That one's all you. Yeah, well, a lot of, a lot of so-called going on in there. Uh, well... I mean, I, I guess there's a couple issues in there. One, there's nothing inherently better or worse about like going into industry, data scientists or otherwise, but it's a kind of a common path, I think, for IOs these days. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. No, plenty of academics who have just decided, you know, it's not the thing for them. Also, plenty of academics who have decided they just want to make like a whole lot more money. And, you know, whatever your personal motivation is, that's, you know, that's you. Uh, so you do you. Uh, I don't think that the uh, judgment that we get sometimes, uh, you know, both directions uh, is, is necessarily always warranted. Um, that's one side of it. Let me put that aside for a second. Um, the second piece, the data science piece itself, it's, it's such a funny name uh, because it kind of is what we already do. Uh, data science is fundamentally about, you know, looking at data sets and uh, having intelligent questions to ask and proper methods to understand them 
uh, and using all of that information to draw meaningful conclusions, whether that's for a research paper or for like making a real decision in an organization. So there's nothing inherently different about that than what we already do. And a lot of, uh, you know, students of mine have graduated and become great data scientists. That's been their official job titles. So nothing wrong with it. Uh, and even, you know, there's a lot of merit to the idea of better translating what we do uh, to people who appreciate the importance of data, but don't necessarily have the skills to analyze it themselves, this sort of translational goal. Uh, without that, there's not a lot of purpose to what we do in, in any of this. If you're a if you're a back of the house statistician, data scientist, even, and you're not going to your um, going to your executives and and folks that can that are actually making the decisions in the organization and and arguing your case, then that's not a really good use of data science any more so than an academic who just uh, you know writes up a paper that sort of kind of maybe has an impact. Maybe it's important, maybe it doesn't, but that never actually gets translated in such a way that anyone can use it. That's pretty limiting too. Um, so, uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that. I, I would, I would say, you know, if you, if you're upset with your so-called professoring, go for it. Why not? <laughs> I totally agree. You know, change is part of life and embracing change is, is good for you. So if it's yeah. time for a change, you can always change back. There's no reason to think that a, any of these are one-way paths also. Yeah. Oh, that's, is it? That's hard. That's hard to come back these days. Well, how do you know? Have you tried? <laughs> I guess it depends on on where you're talking about. You know, there's there have been such a um, there's such a focus now on metrics. If you, I guess, if you went into industry and weren't maintaining a publishing record, it would be that would be tricky. But there there's certainly people that manage that. I guess even these days. I guess my point though is that the world evolves. So just because that was true five years ago doesn't mean that it will continue to be true mm. anymore. I think sometimes you have to take a leap of faith. And if you're miserable in your surroundings for whatever reason, mm. change them. And don't worry so much about what will come next. No, that's true. All right. Let's see here. I think we should move on. Yeah. Oh, you're not gonna believe this. We have a third completely new Florida man on the line here. All right, let's see what we've got. All right, completely new Florida man. Go ahead. Okay. But who is your favorite editor of work aging and retirement who is also side president elect? Mm, I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't, nobody really comes to mind though. Uh, Yeah, that's really a weird question. I don't, no one at all. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, Okay. Next we have graduate student Elena Smith online. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Elena Smith. Yeah, I've got a student, Elena. Oh, weird. What a coincidence. Hi. I caught my advisor doing something morally, ethically, and probably legally wrong. Mm. What should I do about it? Hmm. Hmm. Yes, Richard, maybe, 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 Elena, uh, maybe we should hear his side of the story. Maybe you're a, <laughs> a biased observer in this situation. That's just my impartial yeah. observation. <laughs> All right, maybe I should handle this one. So Mm, mm. this is a tough situation and a lot of graduate students find themselves in this situation where you um, Mm. feel the need to speak up about something that is very wrong, but there's a power dynamic in place and there's obviously costs Mm. to doing the right thing always. Um, In in your case, speaking up may, you know, um, bring retribution down on you from your cruel and vindictive advisor, for example. 
uh, or or uh, maybe you know your your peers resent you for for ruining a research mm. project that's their livelihood as well. So I don't want to make light of this and say, well, just do the right thing, just speak up, because we have to acknowledge there are costs involved here. Um, there have been several high profile cases actually lately of um, of fraudulent researchers being. Uh, I guess brought to justice by their graduate students. They noticed that something was uh, wrong and and said something about it. Some of them ended up leaving academia, whether they were uh, sort of disillusioned or just felt like they couldn't be successful. So it's you're not in an easy spot, and and you have my empathy. My suggestion is to try to find somebody you trust, either in your department or in the broader community, and just run this by them, uh, and and see you know what what they think the right thing to do about it is. Yeah, whistleblowing is not a risk-free proposition by any no. means. Yeah. And and whistleblowers aren't always protected as well mm -hmm. as they could be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, next on the line, we have um, Amy Flanders. All right. Amy, please go ahead. Hey, long first-time caller. My question is, what to do about the fact that my husband spends all his time on the internet making a talk show? Ooh. Any help? <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I have, I have advice. Maybe leave him alone. Uh, and then we move on to the next question. How about that? Okay. Let's just move right along there. That's not good. Uh, next we've got Joe from Wichita. Oh. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Hi. Hello. So I have a problem I'm hoping you can help me with. My car is making a really loud squealing sound after it starts that gradually gets quieter. Uh, let, let me do it for you. It sounds kind of like, uh, okay. So help me out. What do you, what do you think it could be that, you know, that's, so this is, this is, this is more back in like a, this is, this is the kind of question I was expecting. So sounds are really tricky. Uh, I, I don't know. I think this is actually pretty obvious. That was, that was a pretty clear signal. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely the serpentine belt. Yeah, I mean, there, uh, no other option given that. Um, right. Yeah. Next yeah. question. Let's move on. Okay. Next, we've got anonymous, hardworking graduate student. Hmm. Go ahead, anonymous. Yeah, I have a question for Tara. When are you planning on reading my dissertation draft? Oh hmm. dear. Uh, well, um, it's on my list. I will. I will definitely get to it. Should hmm. we move on right away? Yes. Let's move on right away. Uh, you know, this it, this is a it, this is a common source of contention, I think, between advisors and uh, their students. In part because the dynamic is so it's so weird. It's it's not like you would have in a in a, a business environment where there is a you know there's an expectation that you're both like working on a project toward a specific deadline, trying to get things done. This is especially with student with student papers. There's sort of a, a service component to it for faculty where there's an expectation that uh, the faculty are sort of pitching their time in. Like it's, it's a choice that that your advisor or whoever's reviewing your paper is making to spend time on you. Uh, it's much more of a, a mentoring relationship than it is a, a working relationship. Um, it's part of the reason why it's so important for people looking into grad school and why a common piece of advice, at least I give, is it's much more important who your advisor is and what their working style is like, and if you mesh in that kind of way, than uh, many other details. Like if if you're the kind of person that says I want to send a paper off and get feedback like the next day, and I want to be meeting three times a week, and your advisor is not the kind of person to do that, 
you're you're gonna have a bad time. So, uh, trying to to uh, make sure that you have a clear communication style that you're you're talking about what you're expecting out of that relationship that you've looked for potential advisors that that have that kind of interaction um setting clear boundaries and clear expectations that's it's so central to to having a good advising relationship which uh i don't does this student would you say has that kind of a uh, good communication style and relationship since this question was for you i don't know the student this oh. is this is an anonymous student so oh, i have no idea that's true it's weirdly uh, directed at you though yeah, it's really strange coincidence. Hmm. I would say, though, that you're, I agree with everything you said, and there aren't any profession-wide norms or expectations about mm -hmm. how this kind of thing works. So, you know, I can remember um, uh, stories of people waiting months to have a draft returned. I can yeah. remember other stories of people turning in a draft at midnight on Friday night and receiving comments at 4 a.m. from their advisor, right? So those send very different messages about mm -hmm. uh what what healthy work habits look like and also what kinds of expectations <laughs> mm. you really have and this is exactly the kind of thing that it's better to to set clear expectations up front um and have a conversation about that than to make assumptions and, and be frustrated and disappointed oh yeah and to be patient because yeah. i promise it's on my list <laughs> the uh uh Quick aside, uh, before we get to the next question, as a reminder, uh, we are live. If you have a question, feel free to drop it in YouTube chat or in Discord. Uh, and as uh, we have uh, not not too many questions left uh, on the docket, so if you got one, now is the time. What uh, what is up next? Okay, well here's an interesting one. Our next question is from at Hugo Munsterberg. So apparently this was submitted from his Twitter account. Oh. Right? I didn't know that was possible, but what do I know about technology? Testing 1, 2, 3. Guten Tag, guten Tag. Hmm. Ich heiße Hugo Monsterberg. And I have a question. How dare you? Roughly the same. Oh. Uh, how dare us? <laughs> how dare us? I will say. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've been reading my psychology history, and I wouldn't be so quick going on the attack, considering your views about eugenics, uh, Dr. Munsterberg here. Um, however, I will say I'm glad you called, because uh, it reminded me, Richard, of this uh, EPA apology letter that was recently published. Mm -hmm. Did you have a chance to read that yet? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's part of, a, at least I, my impression is it's part of a much longer sort of series of things APA has been doing to, to sort of account for this very long, not so nice history uh, of APA and its relationship with uh, a wide variety of communities, actually. Exactly, exactly. It's basically about explicitly apologizing for the role in upholding um, systems that were inherently racist. And mm -hmm. it's really jarring for me to to look back and, and some of the people that we still cite to this day and think about mm -hmm. uh, maybe how wrong they were in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, I anybody interested in this issue, uh, I would I would strongly urge looking into someone whose name you've heard but have never probably thought about as a human being, which is Ray Cattell. Um, you know, storied, well-known personality psychologist. Um, also on the Southern Poverty Law Center's list of uh, like white supremacists, also. Um, had awards uh, that were offered to him and then had big uh, protest movements, essentially, to have them taken away. Um, just 
I mean, explicitly horrifying views uh, at times. There was, uh, and this was, I mean, not just like in the old days, this is up through up through his death, really. And like in the 90s, uh, Cattell was promoting some really horrible stuff. Um, and simultaneously, pockets of psychology still honoring him uh, for his contributions to the field. So that's a, it's a, and that's just one example. I mean, there's, there's all, all sorts of pockets of really terrible things in psychology. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that um, the, the APA is calling attention to it. Like it's a history that we have to deal with. We have to think, for example, in the case of Gattel in particular, how did, uh, how did his views potentially shape some of the ways that he shaped the whole field? Things that we don't even question or think about today. Uh, it's just, yeah, enormously important. Sure. And it's not only in psychology where we have to wrestle with these questions mm -hmm. of, you know, what do we do with the knowledge that was generated from a person whose moral um, stances are deeply upsetting and or even just questionable? Mm. You know, can that knowledge still still benefit people or is it inherently flawed and we need to throw it out? I, I mean, I'm not going to answer those questions in the 10 <laughs> minutes you know, that we have here, but it's it's a it's a really important thing for us, all of us to think about. Mm. All right, well, let's move on. Um, so next we've got waiting on the line very patiently, uh, Rosalind Franklin. Oh, I, that name rings a bell. Yeah. yeah. My question is kind of awkward. I'm having a conflict with a fellow student. Mm -hmm. They keep stealing my ideas and presenting them as their own. I feel bad for getting upset, but it's really annoying. Well, I really empathize with this, with this question. Um, and, you know, your namesake, uh, this the pseudonym you've chosen is a great example of how sometimes women throughout history have not received proper credit for their contributions. Um, Jocelyn Bell Bernal is another one whose work was um, valuable enough to win a Nobel for her advisor, but not for her. Uh, and and this is something that is not going to go away overnight. That there will be um, there will be a lack of recognition for the for the true generators of ideas sometimes. My feelings about this are one that there's lots of ways to be successful. You don't you shouldn't feel like you have to have a loud voice and dominate over other people in order to be successful because that's what you see other people doing. Mm -hmm. You should be true to your values. You should look for ways to work with people who share your values um, and for people who you trust to not do that to you. Um, and and sometimes you have to learn from experience. And then the, the nice thing about all of our careers is that they're long and you'll have many ideas. So this person can't steal all of your ideas for your whole career. And I mean, you could also argue that ideas don't belong to people, uh, that the point of having these ideas is to get them out into the world. And so there is some comfort in, in the idea of being out there, even if it's not associated with your name. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's such a tricky, it's such a tricky thing. Because for me, there is a big difference between like the idealized academia and the reality of academia where I like, I would love for that to be fully true. Uh, that once just having your idea out there was enough, but we, we've, we live in this weird academic world. It wasn't even true that long ago. It's a relatively recent kind of change. Um, we live in this weird academic world where metrics have become so central to evaluating someone's like worth as an academic uh, in hiring and promotion and in, in uh, just in all sorts of areas. Uh, and to, you know, to it's it's really hard to give a, a 
grad student, for example, advice um, saying, oh, it doesn't, it, this kind of thing doesn't matter, knowing that they're going to be heading into that kind of world. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Um, I, I, I don't know what the ideal exactly would be or how we would get to it. Um, but, um, it's certainly, it's certainly something we should be working for, uh, one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think playing the long game is the way to, to deal mm. with this thing when it happens to you and, and mm -hmm. you can't let it uh, bother you, um, too much. Yes, it is frustrating, but you know, they say about inventions in general that the best way to have a good idea is to have a lot of ideas. And I think that applies here too. So um, yeah. if you've got lots of things going on and one of them gets away from you somehow, you're still, you're still fine, right? Hmm. You know, there's, there are some signs the culture's changing a little bit. I mean, part of the, the open science movement is, is really about this idea of transparency and openness should be a core value for all academic researchers. And to the extent that we can change the incentive structures and we can change uh, the perceptions of openness. Like, I mean, I remember as a grad student hearing all sorts of times like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna get scooped. Uh, we gotta hurry about this because we need to be first. Um, but we're moving into this, uh, this mode where things like preprints are now much more expected. Like as soon as you have the work, just put it out there. And so there's none of this like hiding and dodging around or less of it. There's probably still some of it. There's less of this, uh, dodging around, um, hiding and, and displaying when it is like politically advantageous, which is, is what that becomes. Uh, so may, I mean, I think we're headed in the right direction. I don't know if we're ha heading as fast as I would like it, but <laughs> I guess the dynamic you're describing is part of what I'm concerned about. So yeah. if preprints are acceptable, and I, I love the concept of preprints, obviously, then right. there's this motivation to be first even more so you can slap up some half-baked preprint oh. um, mm. to claim that you're right. My feeling is that it's better to be best than first, <laughs> right? So mm. there is not, there shouldn't be any sense that a person owns a field because they wrote the first paper on it. So that is not how we should think about things. And I mean, you change that perception one, mm. one person at a time by just not perpetuating it, by not repeating mm. those sorts of things. That's true. But, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I still, and you know, and you know, this history, we don't need super details, but I, I fully embrace the better, best than first. And then someone put out something that was uh, not so yeah. best, but then in the reviews you get, well, they did it first. So what's the point in what you're doing? So it's, it's again, it's that like that reality piece. Like if, uh, if any time a particular research question was being addressed, that we just had a constant knowledge of everybody working on it and kind of what they're doing. And if we run into trouble, we can go consult the other group and like get some advice and work together. Like that's the kind of collaborative energy that is really, I, at least I think where we, what we need to work toward while simultaneously, there's all this, all these incentive structures that are actively fighting against that, um, and we are having, we have some motions in that in the right direction. But man, is it, is it? And maybe you have a very specific opinion on this. Uh, is it fair to put it on early career researchers to be the vanguard of that? No, of course not. And yeah. You're right. I think there are some, there are some research areas that are especially. Uh, troublesome in this way, where instead of a collaborative spirit, there is a competitive spirit. It is by no coincidence the research areas that have the most lucrative practical applications. Mm. So 
this is this is a financial motivation to hoard your ideas, which is directly contrary to how we're supposed to be doing science. Uh, but it is absolutely the case that there are financial rewards for the person who can claim to be first, mm. especially with a lot of the technology things that you and I work on. So mm -hmm. uh, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to sort of ignore those those forces, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. I'm, you know, I'm the optimist here, so I'll, I'll continue to play that role. Hmm. We should keep trying. Yeah, fully agreed on that. All right, let's see what we got next here. Oh dear. Uh, next, we have a call from Troubled in Tulsa. Oh no. Troubled. Yeah. Here, there's an election coming up for PSYOP. Mm -hmm. Is there any reason for me to worry about voting? And if I do, how should I think about getting information on who would actually make a difference for the kind mm -hmm. of PSYOP that I want to see moving forward? Good yeah. question. That's a great question. Yeah, the, you know, the whole the whole field of I.O. is at a, a bit of a turning point right now. Um, and PSYOP as the organizers, the vanguard of that uh, is obviously very central in who who we are and who we will become. Um, so choosing leaders to to represent that effort is, is absolutely critical. So, uh, yeah, my my personal recommendation uh, for uh, for that would be to vote for us. That's my personal recommendation. Uh, as we are both on the ballot, uh, I for the uh, the lowly instructional educational officer, uh, whereas uh, Tara is up for uh, the high office of president. Um, you can find more about uh, our and everybody's uh, platforms, essentially, uh, on the PSYOP website. If you're a member, you would have got an email about how to vote in that. Um, and so we prepared statements, essentially. They're all up there. Uh, I hope you also, even just from watching the gig, have a pretty good sense, at least of our values and the kind of uh, beliefs that we would bring to it. What do you think, Tara? Well, what you said about PSYOP being the vanguard of the field is really interesting, because I think if we... Um, don't put concerted effort into maintaining that role, it will get away from us, yeah. right? The field is growing so quickly and there's no reason to just assume that PSYOP will, will hold on to that position by some sort of force of nature. Mm. Um, so yes, I do think we're at a critical turning point. Um, and uh, over the last few years, the executive board has built a strategic plan for, for how we'll think about the future. The strategic plan is also on the website. And so you can read that and, and reflect on it and, um, and, make your choice accordingly. Definitely vote. Voting is very important. Core to our democracy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't uh, realize just how much PSYOP has changed in a very short period of time. Like even uh, 10 years ago, this is what PSYOP does now is almost unrecognizable. And to the beginning of PSYOP in the 80s, it's just a 100% different beast. Like this is not at all how PSYOP started. And if you talk to any of the old guard, you'll get those comments like, we were just a club of people who liked IO and we wanted to talk about it with each other. And we wanted some financial support to have a conference. Like that was the pure motivation. And now we have government advocacy. We have a training initiatives. We have just an enormous, enormous range of actions that PSYOP takes on behalf of the profession. Um, and saying that, it's important to realize just how different that could be still. That's why the leadership in PSYOP is so important. Um, because PSYOP could make just as big of a turn now as it has historically. There's there's so many more things we could be doing uh, or could be doing differently. 
It's a good point. You know, I think for a lot of people, PSYOP means the annual conference. Mm. Uh, But in truth, there are over 700 people volunteering for different PSYOP committees. We've got 50 different groups of people working on initiatives to protect the future of the field. I mean, that's enormously complex. And I think Mm. it's really difficult to to know about all the things that are going on. Even, I think, even in that group of people who is highly engaged in volunteering, they're not aware of all the activities going on. So um, certainly spend the time and do the research Mm. if you can. Okay, I'll tell you what, let's take one more question today. We got okay. energy for one more question. Let's do it. All right, so this one's from, I mean, he's been waiting patiently. We've got uh, mm. Rick Landersberry. Okay. Mm. Rick, go ahead. Oh, gosh, long-time fan. Gig so far has been fantastic. What mm. do you guys have planned for the next shoe? Man. Next shoe, huh? Yeah, man, what a great question from such a handsome caller. Uh, and a great question to end the show with, actually. Uh, you know, we're actually now toward the end of this sort of uh, alternative experimental format here. Um, and uh, I don't know, we'll still be doing our interview shows, but we might uh, might be a little more experimental uh, a little bit here in the future. This has been a little bit more informal than it has been, you know, in the past. Uh, I would love to hear feedback from folks. Actually, Tara, how do you how do you think this went? Uh, we, do we help some callers out? I wish we had more calls about people's car noises, personally. Mm, mm-hmm, uh, mm. Those were the best questions. Uh, so please send us your car noises questions in the future, folks. Yeah, Otherwise, know. sure. I think I think this is a great a great set of uh, discussion points. I'm very yeah. appreciative to our callers. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, thanks to everybody that, uh, that sent in your questions. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, that's it for gig number 10. Uh, in uh, December, we're going to be going back to uh, another regular two-parter show uh, with some special celebrity visitors. Um, so look forward to that. And then we'll probably be back again after a little bit of a delay in probably late January. Uh, take a little bit of a holiday break. Uh, as always, please join our Discord so you can chat with us before, during, after the show. Hit subscribe and that little bell in YouTube so you can get a notification every time we go live so you never miss a show. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another great I.O. get-together. Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a. I guess it's time for us to go. And it's time for us to leave her. Leave a Johnny, leave a. Oh, leave a Johnny, leave a. For the voyage is done and the winds don't blow. I can't believe it's already over. Can you? To keep the excitement going, check out our website at thegig.online. Join our Discord community to chat with your hosts and your fellow giggers. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss a gig. Above all, thank you for joining us, and see you next time for another great I.O. get-together.